And we're live. Thank you for coming back. We've missed you guys. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. But uh, without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. So you will see him on the screen is Ghost 16 Alter, otherwise known as Brandon Yarbrough. Can you introduce yourself, please? Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, Brandon, uh, name is Brandon Yarbrough. Um, went through and uh, came on today and uh, wanted to talk about the series. Thanks for having us on. Outstanding. And you brought your co-host, uh, listed as Ghost 26 Voodoo. Uh, Aubrey, can you tell us uh, about who you are to the listeners and viewers at home? Sure, not a problem. Uh, first of all, good evening. Thank you for having us once again. Uh, I go by Voodoo. My name is Aubrey Wilson. I am a co-producer as well as a astronomy consultant uh, for the project. Oh, astronomy consultant. What's your uh, background with astronomy? Uh, you, you could call it a bordering on obsessive, nearly unhealthy childhood obsession since about the age of eight. Make sure I get your contact information. I might need to get some advice on that, too. Who knows? It's always Not good to have problem. experts as friends, <laughs> especially when you're a writer. All right. Oh, yeah. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. But uh, so I actually found Brandon through the Keystroke Medium Keystroke Medium podcast uh, group over there on Facebook. They've got a YouTube channel where they talk all things wordy. Uh, and he is one of the routine um participants so we started chatting there and so he mentioned he had this project coming out and i knew we had to have him on to talk about it but before we do that for both of you the religion question uh i flipped a coin in voodoo you are first star wars okay. star trek or firefly uh the 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 ancient question known only to cause headache and maelstroms in chat rooms the internet wide um i'm gonna have to come out the gate and immediately say star wars um my my dad has been an absolute fanatic with the Star Wars universe since, you know, I drew breath. And um, the many, many fond memories of going and seeing movies with with him. So I'm, I'm going to have to say Star Wars, if nothing else, because of the the tenure that I have with the series. All right. And what about you, um, Brandon? Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly? I uh, see that one's easy for me. I don't even got to think about it. Uh, you know, for me, it's Star Wars all the way. Um, especially, uh, especially the Clone Wars era specifically. You know, there's a there's a lot of uh, history there. There's a lot of lore to go through and kind of dive into. And um, you know, Star Wars has been you know my bread and butter really ever since I could go through and understand what I was watching. So, all right, that is an acceptable answer because that's a good one. Uh, and because we're polytheistic over here at the Blasters of Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time? Brandon. Ooh, uh, damn. Honestly, I think I got to go with um with Game of Thrones. You know, there. Ooh, you like the grimdark? Uh, shit. I don't think I've ever actually, uh, can't say I've heard of that, though, if I'm honest. You haven't heard of Game of Thrones or the term grimdark? Grimdark. Grim, grimdark is the, is the writing style. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all doom and gloom and not a lot of hope and cheerfulness. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, shit, I mean, the, the series is kind of in the same vein, if I'm kind of honest. But, um, but yeah, Game of Thrones is, um, I'm not necessarily going to say that I'm a mega fan, but, you know, if I had to go through and uh, 
think between the three, it's definitely going to be Game of Thrones for sure. All right. And what about you, Aubrey? Um, I'm I'm also gonna have to go with Game of Thrones, but uh, with the with the only caveat that I just pretend that the last you know couple of seasons don't exist. Have you read the books? Um, I have not, but I've had full intention of of getting into them. Okay, I I've had this conversation before, and I I would read the books because I mean I'm a history nerd uh, from mm-hmm. a long line of nerds, but like. It'd be a, setting myself up for a disappointment because I'm not convinced he's ever intending to to take uh, finish that series. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, do I really want to start a series where I know I will get no uh, completion? On? Right. I mean, I don't mind going along with the journey with you, but it's been many years since the last one came out, and I'm I'm pretty sure more aren't coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Brandon Sanderson is up to finish his magnum opus with him. Right. <laughs> so, all right, so. We're going to go back and forth on the order, so it will be uh, not in order of importance, just randomly. We here at the Blasters and Blades podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific. So, uh, Voodoo, what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? I'm going to have to go out on a limb here and say that in terms of understanding sci-fi, 1,000%, between the the very setting being the near never ending expanse of space, the tech that's usually involved, the particular challenges that come with, you know, existing in that environment day to day. All, all of that has been massively fascinating to me at a very young age. However, if you were to ask my mother, the first thing I ever fell in love with was dragon tales. So that, that may have something to do with it. Okay. And what about you, Brandon? Uh, I think for me first, it was, uh, it was definitely fantasy. You know, the, there was definitely an allure to, you know, magic, sword fighting, um, you know, grimoires, things like that. There was definitely an allure there. But I think as I grew older, um, you know, started getting into more military themed, uh, pieces of writing. And, you know, more futuristic pieces of writing, to be more specific. I think that's kind of when sci-fi kind of uh, started to really take hold on me, for sure. Uh, you know, like he said, you know, it's that it's that not knowing, you know, about that, uh, that vastness of space and, you know, and what could be out there. Um, and just the amount of stories that you could potentially tell, you know, in that medium. That um, it definitely has a hold on me now, for sure. Okay. And what is your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it uh, watching shows, reading books, playing games, stories with your parents on the bedside before nap? Uh, Voodoo, what is what was your very first recollection of something from speculative fiction? Um, my My first recollection would probably have to go to uh, my my dad. He used to work. Um, trip gigs in the maritime industry so he'd be gone for a month and then he'd be home for two weeks one of the instances where we went to go scoop him up i remember him going on and on and on about the sith wouldn't shut up about it mind you this is like a three and a half hour car ride so i'm stuck in the back seat listening to all of this at about eh, i'd say about nine or ten <laughs> prior to that you know we we had watched 
all of the the relevant Star Wars movies, and you know, I'd had an interest, but listening to him get into exhaustive detail about the history of an entirely different world under completely different circumstances and the sheer enthusiasm of it really, really drove me to this particular genre as something that I would want to dedicate my time to. Okay. What about you, uh, Alter? Training? Yeah, for me, it was, um, I think it was reading. Um, you know, my mom uh, basically forced a metric fuck ton of books on me at a young age. And, um, you know, I still love reading to this day, but, um, you know, I was reading anything that I could really get my hands on um, from Charlie Bone books to the Star Wars books that uh, that we had in the library, uh, all the way over to um, how as I started reading, you know, more Brad Thor when I started getting into uh, middle school, you know, Tom Clancy, more thrillers. Um, so for me, it was definitely, it was definitely actual literature, you know, books that I can get my hands on. You know, I can't really count to you how many books I probably got surrounding me now. Okay. So how did your love of, um, excuse me, what is it about speculative fiction, which is the umbrella that fantasy and sci-fi come under? What is it about that, that umbrella genre that you guys love so much? Um, voodoo? I'm going to have to say that the, the, the one thing that just tickles that certain spot. And we, we, we all know what that spot is. It's that itch. It's that curious. I want to know more kind of itch. And it, it's going to have to be the sheer adversity that the very spaces that these stories are written in provide and how individuals in these particular series tackle those adversities, like tech advancement, medicine, logistics, things that we, we look at now and we just see as the norm you know, in these in these alternate universes, let's say they they go through and they see a problem, and not only have they found a problem, but they have fixed the issue in such a way that no no reasonable person would ever consider to 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 function, and they do it. Then they pull it off, and it works nine times out of ten. Fifty percent of the time, it works. One hundred percent of the time. Uh, That's all right. right. <laughs> what about you, Alter? What uh, What is it about speculative fiction that you enjoy? Uh, for me, it's that it's lore. It's it's world building. It's being able to go through and speak about this whole other universe that, mind you, doesn't even exist, but speak of it as if it does. And essentially, what I mean by that is, you know, you look at Halo, you look at Star Wars. There is thousands upon thousands of years of history there and being able to go through and find something within that you know you know just millennia's worth of history you will find something that you like you know and that kind of went through and kind of inspired this entire series um you know me and voodoo both uh you know we are kind of what we refer to you know, as lore goblins, um, you know, we, it's just kind of a term that's uh, <laughs> that we've kind of, uh, you know, adopted over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, being able to go through and look into a, a, a fictional universe and learn more about its history, its people, its cultures, uh, tech, technological advancements, medical advancements, 
and being able to go through and speak of those as if they're real that's that is something that's amazing to me because especially you know as a writer because you have to go through it's not just figuring this stuff out on a whim you know it um it takes hours days weeks to go through and um and figure that out and especially to go through and make sure that it all lines up properly Okay, so how did your love of the speculative fiction genre transition into you writing stories that we're here to talk about today in that space, Alter? Ooh, that was easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really easy. So I've been kind of writing on and off all my life. Um, and then when I got into high school, I want to say it was either junior or senior year. I don't exactly remember at this point. This is a, like six years ago at this point. But um, – I took my uh, first creative writing class and um, I ended up realizing, damn, you know, I really love this. I could go through and, you know, do this on a, on a regular, like I was writing everything from Tom Clancy stuff to uh, Halo uh, side stories. I was writing everything left, right, center um, until, you know, towards the end of the year, I started right, working on, um, on my own original book that you know was never necessarily finished but this series is actually in that same universe but um i think that's kind of where it uh we started to fall into place for me where i really started to think that i could do something like this uh probably for the rest of my life if i wanted to okay and what about you alter brandon oh no that was me wrong ghost <laughs> You it's got the good. same avatar. It's messing with my head, man. I guess that's why you're <laughs> it, ghost. You're invisible. It's okay. We all we all look the same. It's fine. Um, but to <laughs> to answer answer your question, um, I'm I'm gonna have to say that my my draw to it came not necessarily from a writing standpoint so much as a an acting standpoint. Um. I spent quite a few years in, in talented theater. I am a thespian 100%. Um, and then combine that with my bordering on obsessive compulsion to know all things space-related. Um, I remember a very distinct conversation between Alter and myself where we were, I believe we were spitballing what the perfect size. Uh-oh. Uh, well, while we wait for him to pop back on, the um, we'll ask you, um, can you pick up where he left off about how you guys came to um, to the series? He was, he was explaining that a little bit. Yeah, we were um, we were kind of going through and uh, talking about what would be, you know, in our eyes, what would be the perfect uh, sci-fi shooter. Ah, there he is. He can go through and uh, continue. Yeah, my my apologies. Something weird just happened there. Um, I'm back. So we we were essentially spitballing what the perfect sci-fi shooter would be. And then the conversation more or less evolved in, in a way towards this, this project of his that, you know, he had mentioned in passing off and on for quite a while. Um, and he, he knew that I had a unhealthy obsession with space and that I did acting for quite a while when I was in, in school, junior high and high school specifically. Um, and that I have a, a bit of a knack for impressions and different voices and whatnot. 
So he had asked if I wanted to come on and, and work on the series. And since then, I mean, it has just been a nonstop roller coaster ride full of dopamine and stress. But I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think this this project has more or less solidified my my pull to speculative fiction. All right. Um, what about you, Brandon? How did you transition into the writing stories? I don't remember if we asked you that one or not because I lost my place. I blame yeah, Saskia because yeah. she's not here to defend herself. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think I, I was mainly writing, you know, on and off, you know, my entire life. It was everything from, you know, Sonic stories when I was a kid, back when I was really heavy into that. And then eventually it kind of shifted into, you know, Halo, shifted into, uh, you know, my own original stuff, you know, stuff honoring Tom Clancy, so on and so forth. Um and I think that's kind of where I ended up realizing the more I did it, the more I realized I could definitely do this for a while. Okay. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the way they tell stories. So Brandon, were there any specific formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller? Um, I mean, there was one particular uh, moment that um, I think that kind of, well and truly kind of taught me i'm not necessarily going to say humility i don't know if that was really the right word um but a few years ago i want to say i was either still in high school or shortly afterwards i don't actually remember specifically but um at one point you know we were going through i was doing a hike with my uh, sister at her then boyfriend at the time now husband um and uh the best their uh, their best friend and um, at one point in time, you know, it, this was like a 10-mile hike. I've been on hikes before at this point, uh, but I'd never gone on one this this long. Went through and um, kind of went through, you know, we were, we're going through and, uh, you know, we're walking, we're walking. We end up meeting with a couple other people on this trail, you know. So we sit down, talk with them for a little bit. And as we go to, uh, to go through to move out, I uh, go through, go to stand up and you know, take a couple of steps, and then I realized something was wrong. Uh, I took one more step, and then my legs just gave out. Um, you know, it was it was muscle failure, as far as I can tell, um, and it hurt like hell. And um, I think having to basically be carried out of um, carried out of a forest, basically in the middle of the day, uh, it kind of number one, it teaches you a little bit about yourself, and it kind of also goes through and teaches you at least from a writing standpoint, in my opinion, it's kind of taught me to, you know, write characters that are vulnerable. You know, some characters that, you know, they are badasses, but at the same time, to be able to go through and I think in order to be able to go through and write vulnerability in certain characters, it certainly helps to have felt vulnerable just in your everyday life, uh, especially physically. Mentally, everybody's been there at some point, but Physically, it kind of uh, it kind of messes with your head a little bit, but you know it does teach you a little bit about yourself. Okay, and what about you, uh, Voodoo? What uh, were there any specific moments that shape you as a storyteller? I I would I would have to say that the the key moment or one of the key moments I should say that 
basically turned me from just a you know a, a a fan of the of the genre into someone that is in the content making process would be not not only obviously you know conversations that that transpire like hey you know th- this is what i'm doing and you know that that little light switch flicks on in the back of your head and you think oh that's really cool I should probably get in on that. You know, every everybody has those those little little moments, but the the key one for me um would be if if you happen to recall uh the last solar eclipse that that occurred, the one that got massive media coverage, um the the last total eclipse that that occurred. I remember it was during the COVID lockdowns. Yes. Um I, in my infinite wisdom, had gone outside to see this happen. Uh, mind you, I, I live in the Deep South, so we, we didn't get a total eclipse. Um, so it, no, no glasses either. So I basically had to sit there and like tighten my fingers around my eyes so that I could see just enough of the sun to see what was going on and not enough of it to blind myself. <laughs> and um it it was it was definitely an ordeal um probably wound up seeing dots for hours i i don't remember anymore <laughs> but having having that that actual experience with you know astrological or yeah astronomical bodies it 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 hits something in me where I'm like, you know, I don't just want to enjoy this kind of stuff. I want to make this kind of stuff. Okay. So normally we would ask uh, you both about your body of work, but this is your first published work. So uh, this one, either one of you can answer or both of you, but uh, we're going to talk about Reentry Lone Wolf, which is the first episode in your series of YouTube uh, videos that um that you guys are creating so how did you come up with the idea for this series okay so um i think uh all in all like overall um what ended up happening in order to you know kind of get to where we're at now uh it was me and a couple of my of my friends we were chilling at an xbox live party um we were all kind of talking about our craft uh myself my writing one of our friends does music uh another you know does artwork we were all kind of going through and dumb, you know, talking about how certain things overlap, you know, within those crafts and, you know, creatively at least. And um, at that time, I was actually working on just some Titanfall, you know, fan fiction that I was uh, working on at the time. And, and mind you, this was like two o'clock in the morning. Went through, um, some, a light just went off in my head. Something told me, turn this into my own universe. So I went through, sat down, uh, grabbed my notebook that, mind you, at that point I had looked at within a couple of years uh, and just got to it. Next thing I knew, it was six o'clock in the morning, and I essentially had the basis for an entire universe on my hands. But, you know, skipping over a few months, um, kind of had the idea for, you know, a prequel series to uh to snowfall which is going to be the first animated offering 
within this universe. And um, this kind of came to be when, at that point in time, I just stopped listening to Halo Hunt the Truth for probably the millionth time because it's just a great piece of work. Probably one of the only good things 343 did, in my opinion, but <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, stopped listening to that, and um, I was just like, damn. You know, I want to go through, do a prequel that kind of explains a little bit of this universe. You know, explains why certain things are the way they are. Uh, just really to be able to go through and establish this universe a little bit before we decide to go through and jump into something animated. Because something animated was going to go through and take a while. But, so we wanted to be able to put something out that people could go through and, um, you know, and listen to. You know, and, um, and start to learn about and hopefully love um so that way we can go through build a following before we decide to start sinking money into uh something that's going to be you know probably going to take thousands of dollars to do well the good thing is crowdfunding is a thing so maybe you could help alleviate the cost but uh voodoo how did you get involved at that point so if the idea came from brandon what was your role and how did that happen so for for a little bit of context, um, Alter and I have known each other for well over a decade. Um, we we had originally met in Modern Warfare Three of all places. Um, after after meeting there, he got me into Battlefield, Milsim, uh, the Ghost Recon series. I mean, it it it's a laundry list longer than a CVS receipt, but. Um, he, he had gotten me involved in that, and I rapidly discovered that I very much enjoyed the planning aspects of everything. Obviously, I enjoyed, you know, going out in the game, kicking down doors, doing the fun stuff. But what, what really kind of hit that spot for me was the planning, you know, looking over tack maps kind of building the world that these these things were taking place in you know making plans you know getting people where they needed to be making sure they had what they needed to get everything done and then with all of my other passions that being voice acting that being um some some writing i'm not going to get too much into it but um i am i'm currently uh, more or less pulling a, a, a Tolkien and writing an entirely different language, um, which will be prevalent later. So stay tuned for that. But um, he he had more or less brought me on because I had just started spitballing ideas at him, you know, for whether it be system types, tech, arms. I mean, it just, it, it started and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> so then, then he brought me on as a, uh, as a co-producer for the franchise. Okay. And uh, we're going to pause before we dive deeply into this series uh, where we're going to shamelessly shill for the man. 
Once, long ago, Jackson Rook was a war hero, raised from boyhood to pilot a mech. He fought gallantly for the rebellion against the collectivists. Now he's a criminal, a smuggler with a new mission. Steal a top-of-the-line mech and deliver it to a world so hostile, even the air will kill you. In the smuggling business, it's best to take the money and ask no questions. But when the client runs roughshod over the planet's citizens, Rook must look deep inside and see if the heart of a warrior still beats within. Gunrunner, by best-selling authors Larry Correa and John Brown. From Bane Books at BaneBooks.com. All right, so that's, uh, we appreciate your sponsorship, uh, Larry Career and John Brown. Um, we won't make the jokes about you and John, I promise, not this time. Um, <laughs> questions, we're going to talk about itself, or the, the series itself, excuse me. And so either one of you can answer, um, or both of you can come in. Sorry about that. I didn't think you wanted to hear it. All right. But before we do that, can we take a moment and look at that cover art which you shared, which is from your animated series to give these people a taste of what they can be expected. So can you tell us the story of this art and what they can expect from the visuals on this series? Yeah. So um, technically, there's not much we can really say about this. Uh, we kind of agreed on this beforehand, uh, probably like a week ago, like we can't really say too much about this unit um one thing that i can say is that this particular unit whenever they show up it will be terrifying um one thing that we're really trying to you know that we both really agree that we want to try to go through and do with re-entry as a whole is we want to go through and represent special operations and just the military properly um Granted, you know, a lot of series go through, you know, Galaxy's Edge especially has done that extremely fucking well, at least in my opinion. Um, but I think me and Voodoo can both agree there are a lot of sci-fi series out there that do not use certain units properly, at least in my opinion. Um, so we want to go through and have it to where, you know, special operations are represented properly. Certain units are doing certain things, um, but we can touch more on that later. But as for this particular unit, um, they're going to be doing stuff that most people will attribute to WMDs or large astronomical events. This is not going to be a unit that anyone in the universe wants to mess with. And when you guys, when you guys actually go through and, and see them show up, I think we're probably going to go through and have a lot of cosplayers try to go through and, uh, and put together this kit. That's the dream. <laughs> but um, to, to, to kind of explain the, the, the rationale just a little bit more uh, behind what Alter was saying, this, this entire franchise from conception is a love letter to vets just outright. Yep. We, we, we want to make something that veterans and active duty can, can look at, can listen to, and go, I feel actually appreciated because these people took the time to do the research, figure out what it is that we do, and they did it right. Yep. Um, the, the, the key thing about this, this unit that I will share is that in-universe, they're considered a myth mm-hmm. for a reason. I'm not going to disclose those reasons, but just know they... For all intents and purposes, they are the boogeyman. Okay. 
Um, and obviously we don't want spoilers, which is what we what we talked about when we, we did the pre-show, dear listener, is they asked us how spoiler heavy we wanted to be. And obviously we tried to discourage spoilers because that takes the joy of enjoying a, a property from from you as, uh, as viewers of this content. Um, so we'll move on to the story itself now. So what would your 30 second elevator pitch for this series be? Ooh, okay. Uh, if we're talking Lone Wolf specifically... If I had to go through and kind of just go through and, um, you know, just just shotgun it to somebody in an elevator. I don't have a whole lot of time. Lone Wolf is essentially about a woman that comes from the most dangerous special operations team in existence, which, mind you, happens to be the same uh, spec ops team that this particular uh, artwork comes from. But she comes from the most dangerous special operations team in existence. But that doesn't necessarily stop her entire team from getting killed. Uh, so from there, she goes through and she takes a um, she takes a mission to go through and uh, and find the people responsible for going through and getting her team killed. And that leads to a lot of conflict. It leads to some heartbreak. It leads to um, four space orphans being adopted at some point. But um, but yeah, it uh, this series is going to be like uh, like Voodoo said, it's going to be a love letter to veterans. You know, things are going to, um, we're, we're wanting to do things right. You know, we want units to do their specific jobs and, um, we want to be able to portray that, uh, that special operations psychological profile properly. So I watched the first one, Lone Wolf, um, and it was sort of a unique, a unique mix of what I would call like a fireside chat that they used to do the, the audio dramas on the radios from the television era but it also had the visuals in the background will that be consistent throughout the series or will you develop more of an actual animation with it in the future yeah so the idea um is for lone wolf specifically um a lot of those visuals are kind of going to go through and uh that's kind of going to be the norm for lone wolf specifically this lone wolf is just going to be strictly audio uh we will have some scenes animated in the future you know, probably like two or three minute scenes, but not full episodes. Uh, once we start getting into Snowfall, which will be the first fully animated offering in the series, um, all of that is going to be animated. Um, and we're also hoping that the last episode for Snow- or for Lone Wolf is going to be animated. But, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens as time passes. All right. So before we continue, I'm going to I'm going to tell you, dear listener, that we hear all the time people complain that they don't feel like Hollywood, the uh, entertainment industry understands them the average person and that they always complain that the stories suck because they they harp on nostalgia because it's a guaranteed sale instead of telling new stories that are fun and creative and and sort of hit that zeitgeist so if you like that if you like the those ideas and you're the one of the ones like me who complains then give this a shot because new creators i mean none of it's going to happen if you're not willing to take a chance on it so so that's my homework for you dear listener links will be in the show notes give it a listen it's 24 minutes, I think. You know, you got time. Listen to it while you're driving your car, mowing your lawn. Uh, don't watch it while you're driving your car, though. That's bad. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we don't, so, we so don't give it a shot. That. So, so no viewing and driving. But uh, so, so my PSA being done. Uh, what do you think makes this series, the reentry series, special? Uh, I would. I'm going to yeah. go ahead and jump in here, if I may. Um, yeah. I think. I think the key thing that makes reentry in and of itself special and this is to kind of i guess you could say piggyback off of the the hollywood zeitgeist 
uh, comment that was made earlier is that we, as in Alter and myself, um, we we have obviously seen the, the the trends of Hollywood. We have seen the trends of larger budget you know budget studios that tend to cater a little bit to the average to the mundane, and we we decided to hit the 180 and just go in the polar opposite direction. Um, because this, this series, while you will find qualities of the everyday, you will find, you know, the, the, the Joe Schmo, you won't find the Joe Schmo directly. You will find the humanity in these characters of your own volition. This is not something that's going to be, you know, plastered out front and center. This is something that, you know, you have to pay attention to these people, to these stories, to really understand the the similarities between some of these characters and your average listener. Um, but in in every story like that, I feel that the payoff is much more rewarding when you find these similarities with these complex characters as opposed to something that's just written and tailored specifically for for the average uh consumer okay that is a separate answer so now let's ask the uh, doc's favorite question so i had to leave it in there for her even though she couldn't make it today you know kids and parenting and all that nice stuff but uh which tropes do you feel like re-entry lone wolf hits the best Ooh, that's i like that um so honestly, I think uh, what people are probably going to love the most about this series, um, you know, outside of potentially the storytelling, uh, is primarily going to be the depth, number one. Um, and when I say that, I mean there's going to be a, a rich universe that people can go through and dive into. You are going to find something that you enjoy. Uh, like you're, it, it will be impossible to find something that you're not going to like. Um, but I think another thing that people are really going to enjoy, especially, you know, like we said before, uh, any veterans listening, we're going to try our damnedest to do justice to how we feel that special operations and really just militaries in general should be portrayed in a sci-fi universe. Uh, you know, say for example, all of us here like Star Wars, right? Basically, this is something that me and Voodoo have kind of talked about on and off before. Uh, and as much as we love Star Wars, we feel like a lot of the units within the um, within the series aren't necessarily used properly. Um, take Death Troopers, for example. Every time we've seen Death Troopers um, over the last few years, they've always been used in a psd role and for you know anybody that may not know what that means that essentially means personal security detail you're basically over glorified bodyguards which granted yeah that is a mission set of special operations but that's seemingly been the only thing they've done in rebels in in uh in rogue one and that's to us that's kind of heinous because as far as we can tell you know that unit was based off of sas so they should realistically be doing more direct action, you know, more covert stuff, uh, and also in the same vein. Um, oftentimes, we see ARC troopers probably being used where Republic commandos should be used, and I think the Citadel ARC was was probably the, uh, the most heinous offender there. You know, they sent in, what, four ARC troopers and three Jedi in to go through and 
conduct a hostage rescue. Uh, for me, that that didn't really that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, especially when Republic commandos are a little bit more well trained for that. But with reentry, that's something that we're going to try to avoid. Uh, we want to go through and have specific units have specific jobs. And um, granted, you're still going to have some overlap there. That, that overlap's always going to exist. But we want to be able to go through and uh, and portray that as best as possible. Right. So on the subject of, of tropes directly, um, the the only thing that I can I can really say about reentry as a whole is that in in regards to tropes, this is a if 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 you like mystery, if you like not knowing all of the answers, if yep. you like a good revenge story, th this is this is definitely going to to fill in all of those slots for you because hell hath no fury. You can fill in the blanks. Yep. Basically black ops in space. Okay. A better writing in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're biased. So we've talked about the tropes, but what genres do you think this fits in? Aside from the military sci-fi, which is pretty obvious, what subgenres do you feel like this fits? Grimdark, one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, grimdark thriller. Um, definitely a little bit of mystery in there as well. Uh, you know, when we start getting into Snowfall, um, there's definitely going to be a lot of questions uh, that people are are going to want answered. Um, even by the time Lone Wolf is done, you know, there are going to be a lot of questions there that, uh, that aren't going to pay off immediately because we've kind of got this, um, we have everything kind of set up very meticulously here. And, um, when it pays off, I think people are going to love that, you know, that mystery is going to definitely be something that people are going to love here. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here just, just as a little bit of a, uh, a, a PSA for the listeners. If you like lore, you'll love this. If you don't like lore, but when the you know when when this when the season ends and you feel that not all the blanks have quite been checked in, not all the boxes have little tick marks in them for you, go back and really, really pay attention uh -huh. because we we will be hinting at things, hiding things. There will be certain cues and whatnot that'll allude to things that will fill in those boxes for you if you have the eyes and ears to see and listen. Okay. Uh, and so now let's talk about the story itself. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the main character? What makes, it sounds like it's a female. Yep. So yep. what yes. makes her um, unique in the crowded field of science fiction and fantasy? Huh. I think the one thing that makes Kara Snow unique is the fact that she doesn't necessarily subscribe to just one particular character trait. Um, go through, you look at a lot of characters, a lot of characters, you know, sure, you're going to have these, you know, you're going to have character development for, you know, these people over time. But Kara Snow is, you know, like I said before, she's part of the most dangerous special operations unit in existence. But she doesn't give off the vibe that she is. You know, she is a caring person. She is somebody that you genuinely would want to go through and probably spend, you know, and probably go through and spend a night at a bar with. She is the kind of person that she cares about those around her, you know, uh, you know, and she, she is great at showing that, you know, and that's something that's actually going to go through and, uh, and pop up in the, uh, in the second episode. 
but um, she can be vulnerable. You know, again, she's dangerous, but she can still be vulnerable when she needs to be. But at the same time, she could use that vulnerability to her advantage. She can go through and feign essentially being a wounded wolf, for lack of a better term. You go through, you get too close to her, though, you're probably going to die. But Kara Snow is going to be the one character that uh, I think a lot of people are going to really love by the end of this series. Right. We 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 have, have bounced around in, in half meme, half not fashion. Uh we, we've kind of given her the the honorary title of Operator Mommy. Now some people obviously are gonna hear that and think the meme. Well it's both the meme and it's not, because while yes, it's a woman in full tech gear, people are gonna faint over it regardless. Internet, we know. It's okay. The the juxtaposition uh, to that, though, being that the other reason why we've given her that title is because of the fact that, you know, unlike your your cookie cutter 2D badass for the sake of badassery, you know, this this particular individual, they they have compassion, they have moral standards, they have, you know conflicts with their own actions although it's necessary you know for for the end goal you know it's not going to be this one track mindset with this character so i think i think that there's going to be a lot of value in in that internal fight as well as the external fight definitely. with uh, definitely and to uh, kind of um you know piggyback off of that uh to kind of go through and add on to this, because, you know, people may not want to go through and admit it out loud, um, but we are at a time where a lot of people go through and they see a female character and they get skeptical. You know, they get skeptical because they're thinking, shit, are they going to go through and insert some kind of agenda? Or are they going to go through and insert, you know, some kind of political commentary? I can promise you right now, Hand to God, we are not going to do that here. Kara Snow, any female character that you know you guys are going to see in this in the series, they are not going to be a Mary Sue. That is not something that we are going to do. Any character that is at the level that they are at, they got there because they earned it. They got there because they trained for it. They went through, you know, adversity, whether that was in their childhood or adult life. These characters, nobody's going to go through and be in a position that they're at for no reason. Granted, of course, you're still going to have, you know, to go through and appease my, uh, the Galaxy's Edge listeners, you know, you're still going to have points. You're still going to have guys that probably shouldn't be in the position that they're at. But that's also kind of going to go through and kind of play into larger themes in the storyline. Um, not everybody's going to be perfect. Some people shouldn't be, you know, in the leadership positions that they're at, even in real life. But, again, just to go through and, you know, ease tensions, no one is going to be a Mary Sue in the series. And we are not going to go through and insert political agenda where no one wants to see it. The only politics we subscribe to are the ones in-universe. Yep. Okay. I try to stay apolitical, too. So I get it. Um, All right. So 
you've talked about snow the um i guess that fits with you both being uh uh game of thrones fans but what about secondary characters were there any secondary characters that were special, especially memorable to you in the series? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, hell yeah. Uh, so second episode, there's going to be this um this arms dealer. He is briefly mentioned in um in episode one. M. Kajabulani. Um, not going to say too much about him, but <clears throat> this guy is um he's gonna be a character that's uh that's for sure uh he's gonna be the kind of guy that um he's a cool dude but crossing him isn't exactly something you want to do um but side character wise outside of him um we've got a lot of characters in this series that we genuinely think people are going to love on both sides of the aisle just you know good and bad though good and bad is kind of going to be subjective in this universe for the most part um but side characters there are definitely going to be quite a few that people are going to want to keep their eye out but at least for now mk jabulani is the one you want to go through and listen for okay and uh when you talk about both sides of the aisle we want you to know that there's the right camp and the wrong camp people there's people that put pineapples on pizza wrong and then there's people <laughs> that don't right so like there is good and evil in this universe so just so you understand things um but I won't make you guys commit to uh, to which heresy you're part of on that one uh, because Doc's not here to torment, so it does me no good. But now we've <laughs> talked a little bit about the, the main character. We've talked about your favorite uh, secondary character, and obviously that could change as you write further into the series. What about bad guys? Is there any bad guy that the characters have to confront without giving any spoilers? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Ooh. That's... Um... <laughs> I don't, That's... Think can, I don't think we could talk about him without giving a spoiler, can we? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. Um, granted, uh, I'm going to go through and at least briefly mention um, Raven. Uh, that's kind of going to go through and play into the the espionage angle that we're kind of playing into with this entire series. Uh, that espionage and mystery angle. Um, Raven is definitely going to be a, a pain in Kara's ass for you know, the entirety of uh, Lone Wolf. Can't say much about it, because if I if I so much as even say a sentence about him, it's probably a spoiler. But, uh, right. yeah, bad guys are going to be very interesting characters in the series, and quite frankly, I think everybody's going to go through and love them. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here, just, just, just a piece. Um, Alter may get a little upset with me later, but you know what? For the sake of the fans, I'm willing to bite the bullet. Um, some some individuals that you are definitely going to want to pay attention to, especially in season two, uh, which is going to be the fully animated offering. Um, I will not give you names of this particular organization of people. I will only give you a sentence of their language. This is for the Tarung Salva, or Tongues of the Chosen. Alter? <laughs> well, I'm actually not mad at you about, about that one. Um, you know, them we can actually talk about uh, without spoiling anything because, you know, there's nothing really major going on, um, you know, at least just yet with them. So what he just basically mentioned, obviously, this is a language that does not exist. Uh, this is a language that we're going through and we're working on for this series for a specific terrorist organization. Uh, we're calling it the Golem Bai. 
uh, essentially they go through and they subscribe to, by that point, a religious belief that is essentially at least 200, 300 years old. Um, but Voodoo freaking loves this. You know, a lot of uh, Golombai ideas, you know, came out of him. So if anything, I'm going to let him explain what they are. Yeah, so Golombai is a politically fanatic with religious ties uh, organization, obviously taking some influence from from certain groups uh, across the pond, if you will, um, in addition to, you know, some more rational thought in regards to how they operate. I, you know, we, we did not want this group of individuals to just be generic bad guy number 478 that speaks in a different language. No, we wanted to give this group a reason. We wanted to give them an actual cause. We wanted to basically give them purpose for existence because otherwise you just have a group of bad guys for the sake of having a group of bad guys. Um, they more or less subscribe to the philosophy of extreme personal accountability. Now, what do I mean by that? For instance, if you were to, say, steal your neighbor's, um, say, plasma torch for something, right, without asking, that could liably end you in, in being room temperature <clears throat> along with the rest of your family because they also subscribe to the sins of the father philosophy. So... In, in their particular culture, it's a it's it's a patri it's a patriarchal uh, monarchy that acts as an authoritative dictatorship. So there's a ruling head of the family that then basically descends generationally. Um, as as I've said, it's a it's a totally other language. Now, obviously, they will be speaking things that you can comprehend um, when necessary. However, their, their particular, you know, in-house conversations, their, their behind-closed-doors dialogue, a good majority of their intelligence that's going to be shared um, in, in some way, shape, or form throughout the series is nine times out of ten going to be in Tarung Saba. Um, so I will be once I've got a, a majority of the language written out, uh, there will be a, I guess you could call it a, uh, a Rosetta Stone for the Gollum Bai um, sprinkled in with, with Intel. Um, so once again, if, if, you're a, if you're a lore nut, definitely pay attention for that. Um, the entire motivation behind these guys is that we, we want to give a broader adversary that isn't just, you know, say some, some guy with an ego, you know, this, this is somebody that has a very large pool of resources and manpower that has decided that they themselves do not like the state of the galaxy and they are taking action regardless of the galactic spheres, uh, approval. Yeah. To, uh, kind of, you know, expand on that a little bit uh you know where we mentioned that you know good and bad isn't exactly uh is going to be subjective in this series golem bias absolutely bad 
Golombai is the exception. Yeah, they are essentially the only exception. Um, and to kind of go through and, I guess, expand on that, um, you know, this is not a spoiler, by the way. Uh, this is literally just, this is just general information that's out there right now. Uh, essentially, the, and mind you, Lone Wolf will also be uh, expanding upon this as well. But the state of the galaxy by this point in time is... Essentially, the governing body, uh, which formerly formerly named ICEP, uh, International Space Exploration Program, uh, ends up going through, and they're they essentially already run the galaxy by this point. They're they're the entire galaxy's government by this point in time, for the most part, especially in Kaleidoscope, um, is essentially ran by this government. And, and uh, essentially, uh, over time, they decide to, you know, ISEP realizes they don't really have as much power over uh, over the people of Kaleidoscope as much as they'd actually like. You know, they don't have as much power over this entire star, star cluster, you know, as they think that they should. So eventually they wind up realizing that and they start implementing laws, sanctions, so on and so forth. You know, they're tolerated at first, as most things are. Um, but over time, people wind up realizing, you know, what they're trying to do. You know, civilians rise up, corporations rise up, PMCs rise up. Uh, next thing you know, ICEP goes through and um, they restructure as DICE, which is the Department of Interstellar Security Expeditions, uh, which is essentially at this point the de facto standing military in, um, in the Milky Way. They go through, they start using their military as a police force. People end up getting killed. People end up getting forced out of kaleidoscopes. And next thing you know, there's a war on your hands. So, and granted, while it definitely sounds that, you know, dice are definitely the bad guys uh, in the beginning of the war, um, over time, opinion is absolutely going to change. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be as black and white as a lot of people want it to be. Okay. That's a lot to think about. So, you know, as creators of content, tellers of tales and stories, we often do unspeakable, hor unspeakably horrific things to our characters. So if yours ever met you in a back alley and they knew that you were Alter and Voodoo, the creators of their torment, how do you see that interaction playing out? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, see, here's the thing. Uh That kind of depends on... Yeah, that kind of depends on which uh which character is staring me down because if it's a uh if it's an adopted orphan with a short sword and a pistol after her head well the head no let me stop myself yeah yeah yeah, yeah can't say that nope but uh, that character she'd kill me straight up kara would probably at least conversate with me before killing me straight up uh Imco would probably pay me, uh, given the fact that, you know, I'm the reason the dude's making money, but other than that, a lot of these characters will probably kill us outright. Right, I think I think that in my case, like, in Imka, I may have a pass. I, I might have a pass. Mm -hmm. Um, any, anyone else? No. Yeah, no. yeah that's a different story. Like, like well, eh. 
James Morrison, I, I would, I would have a pass. Yeah, James Morrison, for, Thomas Knight, you know, they're, they're fine. We're weak. for, 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 for a few days at least. You know, they, they'd give me a head start. <laughs> <laughs> Look, as long as there's not a, there's not a brunette in a, in a back alleyway, uh, I should be fine. But it, we'll see. Okay. Um, and since we talked about characters, do you guys have a favorite character archetype to, uh, to write into stories? I do, but uh, I'm going to let uh, Voodoo go first on this one. So, in in regards to, to myself, um, my my personal favorite right now is is Imka, because to to be totally transparent. Um, I, I'm doing the, the the voiceover work for Imka. Um, I had quite a hefty hand in his in his design of his personality. Um, so he he is more or less the the person in the role that I would want to see. Um, so I'm I'm quite I'm quite fond of of our oh so wonderful, overly connected arms dealer. Yeah, I think maybe, um, archetype wise, I think it's always kind of been, you know, and, you know, we were kind of talking about this in Messenger earlier, but I think it's always kind of been that kind of character that is a badass, but a lot of people go through and, you know, not necessarily underestimate, but they just don't exactly see that in that person. I don't exactly see it as underestimation. Um, right. Especially it's not the, it's the masking of it. Yeah, especially not in this universe where anybody could be an operator, anybody could be a vet. Um, but it's it's definitely that character archetype that they're a badass, but it's not explicit. You know, it's right. not the dude you know with you know with scars on his face carrying a fucking K bar. Uh, you know, the dude that you look at, you know, he's done some hitter shit overseas. But it's those characters like Kara where she's concealed carrying, yeah. She's got a tomahawk on her, you know, on her hip, yeah. But you're not going to think that she can take out a room full of tier one operators solo. You're not going to think that with her. You're going to think, okay, you know, this is just a, you know, a fit 20-something-year-old woman, you know, you know, who probably has some firearms training. Maybe her father was a PMC at some point. But you're not going to think that she's the most dangerous operator in the room at all times. Right. So I, I apologize for not totally understanding uh, archetypes for a second. I apologize. It's been a long day. Um, the, the the thing about Imka that, that draws me to him as a character is the, the sheer meticulous nature of Imka. Because at the end of the day, you have to be very very smart and very very careful the ones that get caught end up dead it's the he he knows how to play angles that most people don't even recognize that are there he he is the type to say say you have a deal with him right he is the type to invite you to a bar sit you down have a couple of drinks discuss terms do the deal a couple of days later but may any particular deity or of the of the week have mercy upon you should you decide to screw him over because he is experienced 
he would not be where he is right now if he had not, you know, had to put a few rounds down range a time or two. So it it's that 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 business like front, I guess you would say. And it's not necessarily a front because he he genuinely is. He's a businessman. He enjoys what he does. But it's the almost like likewise concealed nature between him and him and Kara where you're not going to immediately suspect that this particular individual has a massive crime net spanning the entire galaxy in his back pocket. <laughs> so it's it's that mystique, it's that business allure, it's that calculating people personality that that draws me to Emka as a character. Okay. All right. So this is the point of the interview where we we get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. So were there any cool scenes that you guys had to cut when you were putting out of this first um, episode that might make an interesting story for the listeners? Uh, I don't think there was anything we necessarily had to cut. Um, I know initially uh, there was one scene that I kind of wanted to go through and um, and implement. And if anything, I wanted to actually kind of go through and have it to where it was animated. Uh, so it's not necessarily a cut scene. It's just really just strict audio. Um, one particular scene that I really wanted to go through and animate was, you know, when Kara was actually going through and running through the tunnel after, um, after Onyx got shot, um, because I wanted that to kind of be, you know, I wanted you to kind of see that fear in her eyes where, you know, almost off break, you end up seeing that in this universe, it doesn't matter how good you are, you can still get killed just as easily as anyone else. And that's um, that's a scene that I kind of wanted to animate. It wasn't necessarily cut; it's still there. Um, but in this universe, it's um, it's going to be, you know, shown relatively early on that it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how much funding your unit can get, you can die just as easily as anyone else can. You know, this it is a war. You know, and unfortunately, in war, people die. And in this, in in reentry, that's not going to be any different. Okay, so what can you tell us about the larger universe where the story takes place? In miniseries, the worlds where that happens is as, are as much characters as the protagonist and the antagonist. So, can you give us a little bit of a hint about the world of reentry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so essentially at this point in time, um, you know, for the listeners that may not have gotten a chance to walk, watch the, uh, the re-entry timeline video. So by the time of Snowfall and Lone Wolf, um, humanity is damn near perfected space travel, um, you know, with the help of multiple companies, uh, governments, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, we end up going through and colonizing Kaleidoscope, which is a star cluster in the Milky Way galaxy. And uh, within it, plenty of different planets. Um, but the three main planets that we went through and occupied were uh, Azarel, Rialza, and Sidalara. Uh, Sidalara is the system capital. You know, that's kind of where you're going to see your, you know, your cities, um, you know, your high rise apartments, you know, your occasional mansion. You know, that's where a lot of people are going to go to and live. Rialza, you know, you're looking at, Rialza's more of a, I guess, a industrial planet. 
um, industrial and business planet, essentially. It's where you're going to see a lot of the corporations and, you know, and PMCs that came along, uh, you know, get established. And Azaro, yeah, it's mostly civilian populace. Um, you know, your farmers, your, you know, your miners, so on and so forth, you know, people that, you know, want to go through and live everyday lives, lives even in this, um, even in this new part of our galaxy. And um, with reentry, I think um, what we kind of wanted to go through and do is we wanted to go through and maintain and, you know, an air of believability here. Um, you know, people are going, you're going to have different jobs. You're going to have different corporations making different things. Um, you know, even so far as even weapons are going to have different companies attributed to them. Um, for example, the uh, N617 SMG that Kara mentions in the first episode, that's made by uh, Akari Ordnance, which is a fictional gun company in our universe. But, uh, you know, it's going to, it's it's going to be deep, I think. Um, there's going to be a lot of lore there and a lot of detail that if you really go through and you pay attention to this, um, and if you're on our Patreon, uh, whenever we do go through and launch it, this universe is going to be big um and when i say big i think i i think whenever we go through and really start getting it rolling off break it's probably going to be about a destiny amount of lore which is at least in our opinion a pretty high bar so one of one of the other bits of the world that um i'm gonna i'm gonna share with the uh with the listeners here is that there there is another planet that that Alter had not mentioned. This particular planet is, for lack of a better word, the backwater of a backwater. This is the the the, the concept of a sundown town almost, but an entire planet, except it's always sundown. Excuse me. Um this this particular planet is is labeled as the designation Tag Z. This is your penultimate shit show, for lack of a better word. Um, for for those of you that happen to recall um, everybody's favorite couple of decades, uh, you know, Guap. Um, basically, imagine the entire sandbox turned up to eleven and then given its own planet. Except it's not, you know, one large entity fighting another entity in its home turf. It's everyone fighting just to exist. <clears throat> this uh, this particular uh, body is what, what one would call a, a point of control. This is something that everyone wants in one way, shape, form, or fashion. Whether it be for resources, whether it be for manpower, whether it be simply because of the strategic location of the body. Everybody wants a piece, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's it's definitely a a planet to to make note of. It is it is something to watch. Yeah, Tex, yeah. that's gonna be uh gonna be pretty damn dangerous. Um, you know, in the universe, we actually kind of have it to where anybody that goes onto this planet for any reason, whether you're getting deployed there, whether you have a business meeting there, um which at that point you may as well just cancel your fucking business meeting. <laughs> but this planet, um, you have to sign a waiver to go to get onto due to the fact that your life expectancy drops very quickly. 
Like you are not projected to survive a week on this planet. Now that's not necessarily due to, you know, austere conditions like, oh, the air is not breathable or, oh, uh, you know, gravity is, is too tight. No, it, it's, it's none of that. It's the fact that once the war actually starts, when the kaleidoscope war starts in full swing, Tagzet essentially ends up as, you know, as Voodoo mentioned, a point of control. It is essentially right in the middle of a very important supply line that if anybody ended up actually getting control of it, they'd probably win the war inside of the next couple of years. But before the war, however, the planet was actually relatively peaceful. Uh, its sister planet, Tia, um, Tia and Tagzet, mind you, uh, just for context, are uh, named after Haida death gods. Now, Tia is essentially the Haida death god of peace. You know, dying in your sleep, um, you know, dying surrounded by family, so on and so forth. Whereas Tagzet essentially symbolizes more violent deaths, you know, deaths in war, deaths, you know, just more violent deaths, like I said. And that's kind of going to be something that once the war actually goes through and starts, um, you know, those names are definitely going to uh, are going to really make a lot more sense. Tia is going to be the planet that a lot of people are going to want to go to, um, whether that's, you know, whether you're a refugee, whether it's a vacation planet, so on and so forth. It's just an overall nice planet. But Taxat, on the other hand, people are going to kind of avoid it like the plague if they can. Helps if I unmute. So re-entry Lone Wolf is clearly part of a series, I know, because you told us, and it said so on YouTube. So what can we expect from this series? Action. You know, action, mystery, espionage. Um, you know, what You know what a lot of people go through and go into, you know, a lot of more military-based series looking into. Um and what we personally feel a lot of the uh, the sci-fi genre as a whole has kind of been missing um, over the last few years uh, is depth. You know, if you go into the series, you will get good action scenes. You will get sound tactics. You will get wonderful voice acting. Um, you, and you're going to see beautifully crafted environments even more beautifully crafted weapons, um, weapon design in this series is going to be, that's going to be insane. Uh, guys are going to be able to look at weapon and gear design and be able to find something that they're going to see that it makes sense. Because, you know, me and Voodoo both have background in the Milton space in real life as well, so paintball and airsoft. Uh, so both of us kind of know what we're talking about when it comes to you know, setting up loadouts, you know, and we also, we both have friends in special operations and the military. So when it comes to setting up different loadouts, whether that's for a breach or an assaulter, uh, you know, a saw gunner, dudes are going to be able to go through and look at kit in this series and find something that makes sense. You know, it's not just going to be the standard, oh, we're going to put you in a full body suit of armor and then send you out, you know, into the field. You're going to see comms, you're going to see medical um you know you're going to see different mag pouches uh and various other just supplementary pieces of kit like this series if you want realism in the military space you're gonna get that 
you know, and if you want to see just badass action sequences, you know, you're going to get that. And while the tactics are going to be sound, there is still going to be some sci-fi flair there. Uh, right. You have some enhanced individuals within this universe we're calling Ascendants, but we're not really going to get into that too much tonight. Right. So if if I had to explain in in short order what people can expect from re-entry as a whole, I would tell them that getting into re-entry is like getting into your for you your, your first stint of close quarters combat. Reentry in and of itself is clearing an entire building by yourself. You do not know what is around the corner. You do not know what is behind the closed door, and you are just on the track, going through room to room, corner to corner, hallway to hallway, with zero with with zero expectation every ounce of surprise and every much bit of tension yep okay so of all the tech you invented for your universe uh we'll start with you brandon what would you want for your daily use Ooh, daily use um honestly probably a skyron and armory helmet um now this is a uh, skyron and armory is actually a you know, they make uh, helmets for Airsoft, um, but, you know, we're working with them in unit, uh, you know, to go through and add their stuff into this universe. Now, their helmets in universe are going to be stupid expensive. You know, we're talking like five million stacks a piece for a base model before add-ons. Uh, but these helmets have anything from, you know, comms embedded into them uh, to night vision, night vision thermal hybrids. Uh, you know, being able to go through and hack most systems essentially just by going through and looking at them, depending on you know what it is. If it's like some cheap ass security system, you're going to be able to go through and hack that relatively easily. But uh, you know, sound dampeners, things like that. Uh, granted, do I probably need it for my everyday life? Probably not, because I'm not you know deployed to fucking Afghanistan or or some shit like that. But uh, I mean, hell, just to have it. I, I take it. All right. And so, how would you abuse that in your daily life? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. That that and uh, the beginning abuse, quite honestly. Um, for legal reasons, this is a joke. Uh, so, because of the fact that it has night vision, you know, night vision thermal hybrids, so on and so forth, and I can hack most systems, I'd probably be going around hacking most safes, going through, getting in at night, hacking a safe, taking whatever's in it, then leaving. All right, and what about you, Voodoo? What tech would you want for your daily use? So, for for me, and th this is kind of a spoiler, kind of not. Um, th this is something that was purely cooked up in my my morbid portion of my brain. Um, it is known as a Schwarzschild device. Now, if any of you know anything about how stars die, you know what a Schwarzschild radius is. Um, to, to surmise what it is, it is essentially a fusion bomb that forces a star to undergo rapid implosion. Um, more or less just force-feeding the thing an absolutely ridiculous amount of iron until the core implodes. Then you get yourself a black hole. 
this is the penultimate weapon of mass destruction. This is something that dice will not touch with a 50-foot pole. This is something that other factions won't even touch. Like, you, you, you know it is, it is absolutely worth its salt when not even your local terrorist group refuses to even look at the thing. Because these particular devices are not just weapons of mass destruction in the traditional sense. Because as we all know, thermonuclear warheads, yeah, sure, it's a whole bunch of destruction, the fallout sucks, but, you know, in a couple generations' time, it can be mitigated. With a Schwarzschild device, the entire system is now officially FUBAR. It, it, it is thrown 90 different kinds out of whack. And um, to, to answer the follow-up of how I would use it in my, my daily life, um, it, w- once again, for legal purposes, this is a joke. Um, I, I would, uh, I, I'm not going to say I'd hold the entire world hostage, but I would definitely be making some changes around here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so I guess you answered already how you would abuse it since you knew it was coming. So we will move on. So does your universe have aliens in it? No, it does not. Uh, that was actually something we wanted to go through and kind of avoid really early on. Um, you know, even when I was going through and just drafting this at like three in the morning, you know, in a in an Xbox Live party, um, aliens weren't necessarily something that I wanted to, uh, you know, to go through and put in the series, at least not sentient aliens in the, you know, in the Star Wars sense. You know, you might have different wildlife on these planets, um, but for the most part, that's going to be it. But you're not going to necessarily have sentient alien life because we mainly wanted to go through and keep the series relatively grounded. Uh, a lot of our mindset when it comes to the series, before we go through and do anything, one question that we always oftentimes ask is, how can we go through and take some modern day kit or weapon or technology and extrapolate on that and then go through and propel it 250 to 300 years in the future? Um, so what we didn't really want to do was go through and implement aliens. We wanted to go through and keep the series relatively realistic and kind of give people and just a glimpse as to what we think operating might look like you know, in the, in the 22nd century. So, and I'll ask you both this question. You can sort of answer hypothetically, but were you ever going to write a story that had aliens in it? How do you think you would go about creating it? Would you let your nightmares inspire you, mimic mother nature, or create something entirely different? Huh. Shit, that's a good question. I've, I've got an answer kind of prepared. Um <clears throat> I think that if I were to kind of inject um, other sentient or sapient life into the reentry franchise, I, I would do so based on a modicum of science combined with a little bit of reason. Um, you know, obviously taking things such as the Fermi paradox into account, which is the statistical impossibility that other sentient life doesn't exist due to, you know, obviously the sheer vastness of the universe as a whole. 
um, with other forms of capable, intelligent life in re-entry, I would, I would expect said entities to not necessarily toe the line, but there would immediately be standards that, that would have to be set for these particular beings technologically advanced beyond our traditional species or otherwise. Because if, you know, you, you just let an alien species run amok, then congratulations, you now have a hyper-developed other form of sentient life. We praise our alien overlords. <laughs> right, so first off, uh, the Fermi paradox has been solved. We know that aliens are real. Uh, if you watch the History Channel after dark, you know it was aliens that built the pyramids. And uh, oh, of I don't course. know the proof you need. So clearly aliens are real. <laughs> um, but, but jokes aside, clearly the interview is winding down. So is there anything about reentry lone wolf that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we wrap up? Uh, probably that, um, you know, one thing that we're definitely not going to be doing with this series is, uh, is putting out release dates prematurely. Uh, you know, we, we don't believe in that. Um, you know, when an episode is ready, you know, it's ready and we'll, we'll tell you when it's ready. You know, we'll give you a release date then when we're confident that we can go through and, um, and drop it. But, um, one thing that I can kind of say, uh, is that. There, there are definitely some things hidden in, hidden in there, and um, if you listen hard enough, by the end of the you know the last episode, a lot of it is going to make sense. Okay, all right, dear listener, this is the part where I remind you that uh, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books, or in this case, uh, entertainment YouTube videos, fireside chats, however you want to view it. So, so do the thing. And over on YouTube, that means clicking the like button, following, sharing, subscribing, doing the things, uh, and they will appreciate it. Uh, it does help people in the algorithms over on YouTube as well. And uh, eventually they will expand out of uh, YouTube as a platform. But for now, that's where they're getting their start. Are you guys going to hop over to BitChute as well since that does video sharing? Huh. I actually can't say I've heard of that platform, if I'm honest. I know there are some programs that will mirror your YouTube channel over to BitChute. It's a uh, was an attempt at a competitor. I don't know enough about it. I don't use it, but I know uh, some podcasts I follow do. Might be something to work, look at. But if, if you have any other places where you can watch video content that you want them to share their stuff, uh, reach out in the comments on this video and say, "Hey, would you uh, mind uploading it over here?" Because the trick is, once you've got the content made, it's really not that difficult. It's just a time thing to upload it on other platforms. So if if you've got some that are worthwhile, I'm sure they'd love to hear about it. And uh, they'll follow when we share, so you can reach out to them. Um, but as part of that, can you guys tell listeners how they can find out more about the reentry project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you guys want to go through and learn more, um, you know, there's obviously our uh, our Instagram project reentry. Uh, there's my personal Instagram, uh, TF83 Reaper. Uh, obviously, our Facebook page, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I don't even mind if people go through and shoot me a message personally and go through and ask, uh, you know, so if you guys want to go through and send a message to the, you know, to the page, to the YouTube channel, to my Instagram, wherever, um, I will gladly go through and answer any questions that anyone might have. Right. And do, do bear in mind, uh, dear listeners that we, we do check up on 
the videos. We we check up on every piece of content. Um, you know, we we intend on making something that you know that that has something for everybody. You know, to to a reasonable extent. So you know, if if any of you out there listening have you know suggestions or you know there are certain things that you know you think would be really you know really awesome to like have in the you know have in the series or you know even you know just a casual one-off you know something that you know hey i want to see that happen at least once you know we we pay attention to that kind of stuff you know we we are in in the stage right now where it is not a tsunami of of information flowing at us um so we we definitely do check up on on things um you know, and and try to get in touch with as many avid individuals as possible. Absolutely, and <clears throat> when, uh, you know, by the time this is released, um, our Patreon should be uh, should be active by then. Uh, we'll also be going through taking um, you know, taking any suggestions or messages there as well. Uh, and by then, you know, there's going to be uh, hopefully a decent bit of content waiting on that Patreon for you guys to go through, check out, and dive into. Okay, and you can find us, dear listener, over on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Uh, sf underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can keep the lights on you can also support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast, and I will keep my co-hosts Nick Garber and Doc Seska duly caffeinated. They will drink until the, they hear sound, and they can taste the air. But uh, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. So uh, thank you guys for sticking with us, and we appreciate you, Brandon and, and Aubrey, for coming on to the show. Yeah, of course. It's been a, been a pleasure and an honor.